we don't need permission anymore. Like I did when I was an artist, we had to get eight planets to align to even get a shot in that bat at getting on the national stage. And now you don't need to, you don't need anybody's permission. That's the exciting news. The bad part is you're going to have to be a business person. You're going to have to be a marketer, a promotion person to get it done. It's easy to get lost in today's music industry with constantly changing technology and where anyone with a computer can release their own music. But I'm going to share with you why this is the best time to be an independent musician and it's only getting better. If you have high quality music, but you just don't know the best way to promote yourself so that you can reach the right people and generate a sustainable income with your music, we're going to show you the best strategies that we're using right now to reach millions of new listeners every month without spending 10 hours a day on social media. We're creating a revolution in today's music industry, and this is your invitation to join me. I'm your host, Michael Walker. All right, excited to be here today with Johnny Dwinell. So Johnny co-founded Daredevil Production in 2012, and he focuses on helping break artists in a digital world. He's headed digital marketing for events featuring popular artists like Tracy Lawrence, Jamie O'Neill, and Andy Griggs. And he's teamed up with a multi-hit songwriter, Brent Baxter, to actually launch a music business podcast focused on helping artists and songwriters in today's music industry. It's called The Climb Show, but abbreviated C-L-I-M-B. He was an official mentor at CD Baby's DIY Musician Conference in Nashville, and he's the author of two best-selling books, Music Marketing on Twitter, How to Get a 1,000 Loyal Fans Per Month in Just 15 Minutes Per Day, and Advanced Music Marketing on Twitter, How to Turn New Followers into Actual Fans. I'm really excited to talk with them today about really the transition between the old music industry and the new music industry, and the transition from the radio and this platform that used to break artists, and today, what are the opportunities that are available to you as an independent artist to actually be able to break your music digitally, why it's easier now more than ever, but what are the really the main things you need to focus on in order to be successful? Johnny, thanks so much for taking the time to be here today. Thank you, Mike. That's good to be here, man. Absolutely. So maybe we can kick things off with just, if you could share a little bit about yourself and your story and kind of how you got started down this path. Sure. I started as an artist. Yeah, I've been in a band since I was in seventh grade and we worked our way up and to the way back in the hair band days. Okay. And we, the Almond Brothers actually moved our band from Florida down or from Wisconsin down to Florida. <clears throat> so we were doing that whole thing. We toured for years and worked our way right up to Warner Brothers and Rob Cavallo and we're laying down the railroad track to get that whole thing started when we're just a, like a, I like to say a day late and a dollar short the uh, that's right when the Nirvana thing took off we were a little young then it would just then they just th lifted up the needle on the genre ended it and and we we're just kind of like, okay this is over what do we do next from there I'd always heard the guys in the Allman Brothers talking about Nashville I'd never been there so I moved to Nashville right after I got off the road in the mid 90s I was there for a couple years and I was going to do the songwriting thing, but I think the culture shock of being the front man in a three ring circus for so long versus the songwriting thing just wasn't like sitting right. And I wanted to make some money. So mm -hmm. I went into business. I got an opportunity to go out to California and uh, that started kind of laying the groundwork for what led me back to Nashville with Daredevil and to see the vacuum that was in the music business. I first was in the electronics industry, the electronics manufacturing industry. And I got a front row seat with, because I was, uh, I had a company that did sales for this product that was a walk on water, just called a walk on water soldering product. So I had 
a database of names and engineers in the highest levels of technology up and down the West Coast from JPL to Mars. Our stuff was everywhere. Raytheon, DOD, all that kind of stuff. So I really had a front row seat to watch what happened to that industry, the whole electronics industry in the wake of the first guy that adapted to the disruption of the internet, which was Michael Dell. Okay. And in seven years, Michael Dell goes from making computers out of his dorm room to being the largest computer maker on the planet and becoming the richest Texan. Not that it's about money, but that's a metric on impact. When you think about generations of wealth accumulation from the oil families in Texas, and in seven years, this guy can buy and sell them because he just adapted first. I thought that was really interesting. And I ended up going from there to another division of the electronics industry. And then I ended up in the financial industry where I learned two really important lessons about content marketing and about honoring the platform. Quick story. I was in the mortgage industry, so I'm selling mortgages and doing really well. <clears throat> but I had me trying to get out of the music industry. I woke up one day, Mike, with a uh, insane amount of discretionary income spent on a home recording studio when I was in two bands in Los Angeles. I, it chose me. I didn't choose music. And <laughs> But I say that because a friend of mine that was in the mortgage office was like, you've got that studio. You should do a radio show to promote your mortgage business. And I was like, I'm thinking big time. I don't have an agent. I don't know anything about radio talent. How's that working? He said, no, man, like on the weekend, all those shows, everything from health and vitamins to cars and finances and mortgages and hobbies, all that stuff. Those are paid infomercials. And you can buy a time slot, educate people with content marketing on stuff that's valuable to them, create a relationship and get some business. And I thought, well, that's really interesting because I was making hundred I was working for a huge company called AmeriQuest, which was, you remember they sponsored the Stones tour back in the day and MLB and I'm making 150, 200 calls a day to get three applications. It was a grind. We went and we tried it and it was like a big commitment because you had to buy six months at a time. So the cheapest station we could find was an AM station, but that commitment was like $14,000. We didn't have to pay it up front, but we had to commit to it for each. You had to buy six months worth of shows. So we put together this show and we would do it in the studio, record it in the studio, upload it to the satellite link, and they would broadcast it from the station on Saturday. So we did the show and we're there with pencils and papers and ready to just start taking applications from the radio show first weekend. Nobody called second weekend, no calls, third weekend, zero calls. So this is where I learned about honoring the platform. So I called the station and the station manager, God bless her, way smarter than me. She knew my phone wasn't ringing. She knew why my phone wasn't ringing, but she knew that my type A personality, I was going to need to call her to be in enough pain to call her before I was going to receive that information. So I, the phone call was like, hey, Johnny, you're calling me because your phone isn't ringing. I'm like, yes. She's like, all right, calm down. Are you prepared to do everything I tell you to do to a T if I tell you how to exactly what you're doing? And I said, yes. And she said, first thing I want to tell you is your content is amazing. We're getting lots of calls on it. People love it. And I said, well, I disagree because we're not getting any phone calls. And she said, that's because you're not honoring the platform. And I said, what does that mean? And she said, you have a half hour time slot. We put in five minutes with the commercials. You got 25 minutes with the content. I said, yes. I said, your show's got a beginning, a middle and an end. It's brilliant content. You wrap up with your point, a nice, neat little bow and you give your phone number. I said, yes. 
And she said, well, that's how people consume sitcoms on television. And I said, yes. She said, Johnny, that's not how people consume AM radio on Saturday. And I was like, oh, wow, mind blow. And she's, yeah, they're running around doing, running errands, going to the grocery store, going to Home Depot, taking the kids to soccer practice, getting their lives together, put back in order for the next week. And I thought, wow, she said, just make two tweaks and the phone will ring. So the first tweak was instead of doing one 25 minute show, do five, five minute shows. And she said the same show, just change the metaphors. The repetition will help drive your point home because people are listening to a couple of minutes here and a couple of minutes there. And then she said, number two, I don't care if you got the president of the United States on the phone, you got to interrupt them. And every two minutes, give your phone number. So we did exactly that fourth week. We got five phone calls, two of them turned into loans. That revenue paid for the whole commitment. And then shortly we were on five stations in three markets. And I went from making 150 phone calls a day to get three apps to getting 75 to 100 apps on the weekend. And they were calling me. That was honoring the platform. And I see that in the music industry. So after the meltdown happened, a buddy of mine that I had known for quite some time said, when are you coming back to Nashville? Let's produce some records. And so I went back, I moved back, got into kind of partnered up in a studio and we were co-producing records. And we just saw these like amazing indie artists coming in, like important artists that had something to say. And I noticed that they're spending their whole entire budget on the record. And I just was like, this is insane. Like I knew enough to know a record deal when back in the day and still to this day, they're going to give you a budget, however big or however small it may be, they're going to give you maybe 5% to make the record and the rest of it's going to be spent on promotion. So everybody was intoxicated, if you will, with the idea of no gatekeepers, like they could just put their music out to the world and make that happen. But at the same time, nobody was thinking about the reality of promotion. If good music finds its own audience. Why do record labels have promo departments? Like it's not the case. They work their butts off to get that music in front of audiences who repeatedly who fall in love with them. We, I started doing digital stuff for the studio just out of pragmatism. If we can help these artists sell a few more records, maybe they'll come back and do another record with us and we can increase the sales. And the more that I did that, the more I realized that there's a huge problem here. The record industry still, so this is 2011, the record industry still had not really had to deal with the disruption of the internet, man. We had a pricing ping in 1999 with Napster, but at that time, and that was significant, but that wasn't a marketing issue. Like the marketing pipeline was still intact, was still protected. We only had two choices really to listen to music. It was listen to what you bought or listen to the radio. And so during the 2000s, we still had huge, huge records, 10 million plus selling records because they could market it. And Spotify is not invented until 2009. And that kind of came as a result of the iPhone, which was, came out in 2007. It doesn't come to America until 2011. And it doesn't really become ubiquitous until 2018. So it's all of a sudden, it's like now the record industry has to deal with the disruption of the internet and they're not honoring the platform. They, that, that, and it makes sense when you look at it, the, the only, and this is true for artists too, indie artists, major label artists, labels, indie labels, the only experience that they've had with success on a digital platform has manifested itself in the form of a viral 
piece of content. That's how the chain smokers got their deal. That selfie went viral. There's a million of those stories. So that's what they're chasing because that's what success looks like. But if you just think about the basics of marketing, which is marketing 101, you need reach and frequency. We got to reach millions of people. We got to do it repetitively. And if you look at the way a label and also an artist thinks about the strategy for a broadcast promotion, broadcast promotion strategy, like on radio, there's not a label that's going to go to P1 radio with a debut single from a debut artist that isn't going to work that single for at least six months, You usually closer to a year. And it's a game of inches. I liken it to like a football analogy. It's a game of inches. We just need to have forward motion. Even if it's an inch, that's fine. Just enough to get a new set of downs. We can see the end zone off in the distance. We know that if we grind and grind and grind, we'll get into the end zone. And so the end zone's a touchdown. It's not winning the game. And if you look at 30,000 feet on the long game strategy of a record label, Mike, would you agree that industry standard sort of gestation period for a label being able to get that ROI on an artist is usually the third record. That's where the money's made. Right. If ever. <laughs> yeah. If ever. Yeah. If there's going to be money made, that's where it happens. So you're talking about at least two singles from the first record, two singles from the second record, six months apiece to a year. You're talking about two and a half year long-term plan. This is what we're going to do if we believe in an artist and this is how we're going to grind. And then you look at the artists and the labels strategy for digital, which is it's, it's a home run derby. If it doesn't go viral, it's a failure. Using that same football metaphor, it's like first down on their own 25-yard line. They hike the ball. They throw a 75-yard bomb. If the receiver doesn't catch it for a touchdown, they walk off the field. And they got three downs left. And there's no – it's devoid of the fundamentals of marketing, repetition, and strategy. And here's the trick. With radio, with broadcast platforms like radio and, and the MTV, BET, CMT, all the music, when they played music back in the day, the repetition, the frequency part of the reach and frequency marketing 101 equation was built in to rotational format programming. So the, it, they had the luxury of being able to pound the same exact content down your throat. Literally, if it's in heavy rotation, you're talking about every hour to every 90 minutes, right? If it's 70 spins a week during peak listening hours, that's what that comes out to. You don't have the luxury to do that on digital because you don't have a captive audience, but the fundamental still is the same. We just, in order to execute it successfully, we have to honor the platform. Mm -hmm. So this is where we're cooking up lots of different kinds of ideas and different strategies that are working to help make hits bigger. If you listen to left sets, if you listen to, if you read the trades, it's like, oh, hits are getting smaller. And that's because nobody's promoting right on digital. The, art, the labels aren't breaking artists on digital. If, there are outliers that happen, but radio doesn't work anymore. Like it, it used to be you're Bruce Springsteen, you're some kid from Jersey, you get a record deal, you're plucked out of obscurity, they put you on the radio, and then you become popular. And now you got to be popular enough to get on the radio. So radio is not the tastemaker anymore. We have to address that. We have to think about it a different way. And when 
I, again, I saw that there's a huge vacuum here. I liken the record business to, in a lot of ways, to Hollywood. They're both very similar industries, albeit with very different products. And this matters, but they're, they're both about the same age, about 100 years old-ish. They make artistic intellectual property and they're masters at promoting that artistic intel on to broadcast platforms. But if you watch what Hollywood does, which is what I've been doing for the last 10 years, they're much farther ahead on that huge transformation from broadcast to digital than the record industry is. You saw Netflix was essentially the Spotify of Hollywood initially when it first came out because there wasn't original Netflix content. So they created a billion dollar industry, a billion dollar business, excuse me, that was on rented property. Like they didn't own any of the intellectual property. So it wasn't their traffic. They didn't own the traffic. They just had this vehicle that was a bunch of ones and zeros. And that is a, they, it's lucky that they lasted as long as they did without creating their own content before somebody in Hollywood went, hey, wait a second. We own Friends. We're getting these massive licensing checks from Netflix for Friends, but we own that. That's our traffic. Why don't we just set up a stupid video player on, we got the money and we could get, so the knee jerk reaction to Hollywood was we should get 100% of the revenue that our traffic creates that our artistic intellectual property creates and then the 2.0 part is oh wow for the first time we now have the data we know who the customer is we know what michael walker likes and what he doesn't like so i'm gonna i'm gonna intelligently market to you and show you this and not this because i know that you're not interested in this and it makes your life easier and it keeps a good relationship between us think about it man like the music industry still doesn't know who the customer is. It's, they're, they're doing business with Spotify and the streaming services. This is a newfangled digital way of doing business the same old way. And the only leverage that Spotify has, because it's a distributor, that's another thing. It's not a marketing engine. It's a distributor. Distribution is where you go to consume a product. And marketing is why you're going there. So I think too many people believe they're going to break on Spotify and they don't. That's where I'm going to go once you break, once I find out about you. But in any business, I don't care what the industry is, the only reason that a distributor exists, the only leverage they have is because they have a relationship with the end user that the creator of the product or service either can't have, which for the longest time was the reality in Hollywood and in the music industry, or in this case, today in the music industry, they just simply don't have it. And so the second that they say it's Michael Walker and here's what he likes to listen to and here's what he skips past, they're irrelevant. So <clears throat> I see this and I see, I'm so excited because I see the we don't need permission anymore like I did when I was an artist. We had to get eight planets to align to even get a shot in that bat at getting on the national stage. And now you don't need to, the, you don't need anybody's permission. That's the exciting news. The bad part is you're going to have to be a business person. You're going to have to be a marketer, a promotion person to get it done. All right, let's take a quick break from the podcast so I can tell you about a free special offer that we're doing right now exclusively for our podcast listeners. So if you get a ton of value from the show, but you want to take your music career to the next level, connect with a community of driven musicians and connect with the music mentors directly that we have on this podcast. Or if you just want to know the best way to market your music and grow an audience right now, then this is going to be perfect for you. So right now we're offering a free two-week trial to our music mentor coaching program. 
And if you sign up in the show notes below, you're gonna get access to our entire Music Mentor content vault for free. The vault's organized into four different content pillars. The first being the music, then the artist, the fans, and last but not least, the business. When you sign up, you'll unlock our best in-depth masterclasses from a network of world-class musicians and industry experts on the most cutting-edge strategies right now for growing your music business. On top of that, you'll get access to our weekly live masterminds where our highest level modern musician coaches teach you exactly what they're doing to make an income and an impact with their music. Then once a month, we're gonna have our Music Mentor Spotlight Series. And that's where we're gonna bring on some of the world's biggest and best artist coaches and successful musicians to teach you what's working right now. And one of the most amazing parts is that you can get your questions answered live by these top level music mentors. So a lot of the people that you hear right here on the podcast are there live interacting with you personally. So imagine being able to connect with them directly. On top of all that, you'll get access to our private music mentor community. And this is definitely one of my favorite parts of Music Mentor and, and maybe the most valuable is that you're gonna have this, this community where you can network with other artists and link up, collaborate, ask questions, get support, and discuss everything related to your music career. So if you're curious and you wanna take advantage of the free trial, then go click on the link in the show notes right now and you can sign up for free. Uh, from there, you can check out all of the amazing content, uh, connect with the community, and sign up for the live masterclasses that happen every week. This is a gift for listening to our podcast for the show. Um, so don't miss it out. Go sign up for free now and uh, let's get back to our interview. Holy cow. There's so much good stuff in there. Lots of gold nuggets that you're dropping. And <laughs> when you talked about that, that line, the record industry doesn't understand who the customer is or who the fan is. That was like a light bulb moment. That gave me goosebumps because it's true. Who has the data? Like Spotify has the data and they're not necessarily that friendly with their API. They don't open that up. You don't get the email addresses of fans who follow you on Spotify. Like they don't have a, really a direct path for you as an artist or as a record label to understand all of that that data aside from what Spotify feeds you, which is very little. One, uh, one point that I want to reiterate too, you brought up that's so important is that idea of when we're when we're budgeting for production versus marketing and how one of the biggest mistakes that you see is the budget like all of their money towards recording it and zero towards promotion and one analogy that comes to mind as you describe that is the analogy of that in your music career your marketing your promotion is like the engine in a car right if you spend a ton of money you could get a beautiful looking car that sits in your garage i love this if you don't yeah. If you don't invest in the promotion or the marketing, you don't have an engine in the car, so it's literally just going to sit there. It could be beautiful, but it's not going to go anywhere. It's not going to do anything. And that's, it's like the most crucial part. Like you need to have an engine. If you want to go places, which is really the main function of a car is to take you from to different places, really the main engine of growth is your marketing. It's your promotion. Therefore, it deserves, it deserves your attention, it deserves the majority of the budget. And it's ultimately what's going to provide a better return on your investment as well. Like clearly, like you need to have a great product as well. But if you don't have marketing or promotion around it, then it's not just going to magically get seen and but nobody you know, knows profitable. about it. It's not going to happen. And here's the thing. It doesn't matter how groundbreaking it is. Again, so frontline in the electronics industry, one of my clients was TiVo, right? TiVo had the most unbelievable freaking invention ever that nobody knew that they needed, that everybody now has and we don't live without. And TiVo was the bomb, but because they marketed it wrong, they went and solved it and they had to license their technology to everybody else. So now we call them DVRs, we call them this, but it was TiVo, it was there, they invented it. So every DVR that you have, that cable company is paying 
something to to TiVo. And for them, just it's because they marketed it wrong. And so here's proof positive. That product is so unbelievable, but it doesn't matter if the marketing sucks. Another great music example that I always use to just to set people straight is Guns N' Roses. That is still to date the largest, the biggest debut record in the history of the record industry. I think it sold 30 million records. So whether you love them, whether you hate them, you simply cannot argue the impact that Appetite for Destruction had on society, how many people liked it and how good the art was. You can not like it based on taste and that's fine, but it's amazingly good, incredible art. It's the art that you aspire to have, not just in terms of success, a success metric. <clears throat> but that record was a stiff for the first year when it came out. Why? Because nobody heard it. They couldn't get on radio. They couldn't get on MTV. That record came out in 87. It didn't break until 88. And a lot of people, so there's nuance to this, right? A lot of artists are like, if I could just get on tour, that would change everything. Yes, that would help. But again, proof positive, when Guns N' Roses comes out of the gate with Appetite, they go on tour with Aerosmith. That's where I saw them. I'm a musician. I got it. So got it. I went out and bought the record. But that tour with Aerosmith, which is arguably, if it wasn't the number one tour that year, it was in the top three, was worth 60,000 records. Why? Because there was no market penetration. And literally, depending on who you talk to in the camp, they were one week or one day away from being dropped from Geffen Records before Tom Zutout went to David Geffen and said, I really believe in this band. Flex your music mogul muscle and please make somebody spin this video at least one time on MTV. And so he calls in a favor, Geffen does. MTV acquiesces and they spin Welcome to the Jungle at 3 a.m. on a Sunday, which is very late on a Saturday. At a time in 1988 when there was still probably a few million people still up partying, <clears throat> watching MTV, and then the phones lit up at MTV and they're like, oh, wow, people really like this. So they started to put it in rotation. And once that happened, all the radio stations followed. And then the rest is history. But when you understand how that worked, <clears throat> the fundamentals of how it worked, it starts to just, it gets your brain asking the right questions about how is this going to work on digital? And once you do that and you're attaching it to the fundamentals, then your subconscious will inevitably reward you with the correct answers. So that's where we come from with that. It's about, I, I have to remind people of this on my podcast, like nobody ever listened to the radio to discover new artists. And at the same time, new artists, the, the radio is where we discovered all the new artists, either directly or indirectly, but we weren't there waking up in the morning going, I wonder what brand new artists we're going to be turned on to today. It's going to become the soundtrack of my, no, I don't care what music you listen to. You listen to the radio for the same reason to hear your jam. And so the Ray radio worked was, I always use like a, I just use a country music example because I know the numbers, but in 1994, Reba McIntyre comes out with her 18th studio record, right? So slow clap. You are the queen of country. If you have 18 studio records in any genre, you are everybody's jam. God bless you. That single was Why Haven't I Heard From You. It's going to go immediately into heavy rotation. And if you remember the way the labels 
used to promote these. It was so brilliant. They would drop the single first and the record's not available. And they let that thing cook on radio for a couple, three, four months. And then they dropped the record and they'd have like incredible sales days. The DJs would put it into heavy rotation. The program directors would. So it's, you remember how this is Johnny D from WKKR right here. We've got the new Reba McIntyre single. Why haven't I heard from you? And you can only find it right here on WKKB <laughs> every hour on the hour. So we're listening to hear what Reba. And then they slide in this new dude named Tim McGraw that we never heard of. And it was Indian Outlaw. I always use the second first single up the second record because the first one was a stiff. But so. The thing is that most music consumers, the first time they heard Indian Outlaw was really like the seventh time because your brain's, you're not subconsciously recognizing the voice because it's not Tim McGraw yet. You don't know the name. You don't know the voice. You don't know the song, but through pounding over and over again, all of a sudden now you're turning on to it. And once you get past the point of subconscious recognition, you're still not winning. You don't have a fan. You just have somebody that's, oh, there's that song again that I like. Who is that again? What is that? What's that? What's that beat? And that's not in any way, shape, or form how anybody thinks about digital. We have this intoxicating, misguided view, and it's on purpose. I still don't understand how these platforms, like, and I'm not ripping on the platforms, God bless them for being good businesses, but Bandzoogle, Bandcamp, Reverb Nation, Noise Trader, like blah, 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 blah. They all got VC money millions of dollars to start these companies because we invented some really cool way, a new way for artists and fans to do business. But nobody's talking about why they're going to do business. And that's what's missing. So we all feel, and I can't tell you how many times I've had this conversation, there's an implication that there's digital foot traffic on these platforms, right? There's a billion people that go to YouTube a day. And if I put my music there, then somebody's going to stumble across it. No, they're not looking for you. So there's things that you can do to tweak that, but you have to have a really keen understanding of what foot traffic is, right? I'm a big fan of cover songs for that reason. Like the day they drop, the original artist drops it, you come out with a cover, you can get some people turned on to you. It's a very cool way of doing it organically, but you have to understand that for that moment, that very slim moment, a few weeks in time, there's foot traffic for that specific song, and then it's gone. So how do we take what we know about radio and the repetition and apply that to digital? So that these are the things that we're doing when we're putting together strategies for our clientele. Awesome. Yeah, this is great. You're definitely speaking my language, it's, and it's super interesting to hear the transition from radio and how a lot of those same fundamentals, the same marketing principles apply, but the music industry just hasn't caught up yet. This is something I've experienced a lot when it comes to digital marketing and online marketing. You're a genius marketing. at that, by the way. And I, I, I mean, from, I, I'm sitting over here in the cheap seats when it comes to your company and you're really freaking good, dude, like super smart. And I wanted to shout you out on that. Hey, thanks, man. I appreciate that. And honestly, I wish that I could take more credit for it, but I'm just a, I'm just a function of my mentors and the people that I've learned from who are some of the masters of this world. And one thing that I've noticed is through having personally invested a lot of time and money with my mentors who are masters in internet marketing, a lot of the things that all successful digital entrepreneurs understand nowadays, like when it comes to technology and paid traffic and acquisition and digital marketing in general, there's so many things that the music industry just hasn't caught up to yet. It's yeah. we're just behind. It's like we're stuck in this old model. 
And just by understanding some of these concepts that are already exist in these other industries that they're doing successfully, you referenced the the film industry and one in a couple of ways that they're ahead of the music industry really can give you a head start because you realize, wow, I can do the same thing in the music industry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. First, love- I like to say this, that the Chinese word, this is when somebody told me this, it blew my mind back as the owner of that first electronics company I went to, but he's like, the Chinese word for crisis is comprised of two characters. One is danger. The other one character stands for danger. The other character stands for opportunity. And so the music industry right now is in a big crisis. Make no mistake about it. And it doesn't Mm -hmm. look like it because I predicted this. I've been talking about this for six years. At one point, we contracted from a $75 billion a year industry. I think in 2017, it went down to 15 billion. So we contracted 80%. And people were really struggling. And this is right when the labels finally stopped fighting streaming and started embracing it. And now we're rising up from the ashes. And there was an article that I read that said, at the same time it took the music industry to contract 80%, digital gaming exploded to 150 billion a year business, industry, excuse me. And I said, that's what's going to happen in the music industry. Like we're going to go through this metamorphosis And now we're going to have so many more people that are paying to consume it through streaming, which is a good thing. Ultimately, it's important that it happened. It's an important link in the Cro-Magnon man chart of us stopping dragging our knuckles on the ground as an industry and walking upright as a homo sapien. But the, so it's already happened. So right now, like I think this year or last year, it was like 81 billion. So we've already surpassed our best year in the music industry, but we're not breaking new artists and it doesn't feel like that because you're like oh what about this artist or what about morgan wallen or what about billy eilish these are outliers these are outliers if you go to just go to wikipedia and search for debut records on any given year your mind will be blown how many even if you don't listen to that music you'll know those brand names oh that's a punk band oh that's an r&b artist Oh, that's a country artist. Even if you don't listen to that music. Why? Because they've been marketed and you know who they are and you don't even listen to it. So that's how good the record industry used to be at that. And now the sky's the limit. The other point being that radio was a huge log jam, wasn't it? Like 95% of all the artists on all the major labels didn't make any money because they couldn't get on the radio. They only play 12 songs an hour. And if you look at 12 songs an hour times 24 hours times seven days, I'll do the math for you. It's 2016 spins a week on a radio station. And if you've got, if a heavy rotation song is 70 spins a week, if you've got just 20 songs on heavy rotation, it's 1,400 spins. It's 66% of the bandwidth right there on 20 songs. So there, there was no room if they're going to be there for six months on that playlist, man, you want to talk about prime real estate, very difficult. But now that we don't have a physical distribution log jam, we don't have a promotion log jam. We just have a very imperfect understanding of how this works. And, and for the baseball fans out there, when I first started putting this together in my mind and seeing the light and the vacuum that, that existed, I remember telling my mom, and, and of course, I'm t- taking 90 minutes to explain this. And I'm so excited. And she's so excited that I'm excited. And then at the end, she just sums up. She says, oh, so it's kind of money ball for the music industry. I'm like, holy crap. That's the elevator pitch. So long as you understand baseball, or at least you like Brad Pitt, that's the <laughs> elevator pitch. It's like money ball for the music. Exactly. Using that data to find. I know now that even with all the questions, I don't have all the questions answered. 
But even with that, we could break an artist for 20% of the cost that a major label is trying to spend on P1 radio to get it in front of more people and do it repeatedly and devise different ways that people will consume it. You just can't pound the same video over and over again. You can't pound the same audio file. You got to do something else on top of that to make it work on digital. And that's what we're doing. Awesome. Yeah, this stuff is super, super interesting. And I would love to dig a little bit into what are some of the, I know that there's a few different strategies that you found that are helping you to break artists in today's day and age digitally versus kind of like the old <coughs> model with the, with the radio industry. But maybe if we have time to go through one of your favorite kind of new tactics or new strategies that you see working right now that you know, maybe stands on the shoulders of what you've learned through the radio experience. But what would you recommend for someone who maybe who's listening or watching this right now? And let's assume, let's assume that this, the person we're speaking to right now is someone who has invested the time, invested the money into recording their at least an EP or like a collection of songs that, that they're proud of. And let's assume that these are actually competitive and they're viable, that these are like some good enough quality songs and they have a, they don't have like a infinite that they can draw from for their budget for marketing. Like they have a limited amount of finances they can invest in it, but they do have, they have, they've saved up a decent amount to be able to invest into marketing. Where do you think is the first place that you'd recommend that they started with, with actually promoting their music? Here's what I think on that. The, the, there's no lack of literally like generational artists out there. The Princes, the Adele's, the Guns N' Roses, the just you know, the Stevie Wonders. The, there's no lack of those in existence on our planet. There is a lack of market penetration. So focus on market penetration. So what do I mean by that? This is born from a, like a really, like the one billionth rough conversation I had with an industry executive that was high up. And I was, I left being very upset with myself because I didn't communicate what we were trying to do and the vision that I saw and why was I missing it? Like, why didn't he understand? So it's my fault if he's, if he's not understanding. And I was like, what the heck is the, what's the love of, what's the romance with radio? It's not working anymore. So I went in there and they're like, Johnny, if we'd spend $5,000 on digital marketing, when do we get 5,001 back? And I said, the last big artist you guys promoted, how'd you go? How'd you do it? I said, radio. I said, how much did you spend? And when did you get it back? They're like, we didn't. Like, can we start the conversation here? Just with mm -hmm. that. And so then I, that led me down saying, what? Radio is not the answer. Everybody thinks radio is the answer. So what was the answer? What had to happen back in the day when it worked to take an obscure artist and all of a sudden they're popular enough to sell tickets and sell records? What happened? And the answer was market penetration. Radio for a century was the vehicle that delivered market penetration. So let's start there. And then here's how you craft the digital, okay? There's five things, there's five boxes you have to check on terrestrial radio to achieve market penetration. If you miss one, you don't have it. Number one is you need to have medium to heavy rotation. That's 40 to 70 spins a week. Number two, you have to have that in each market or at least in a market, right? If I'm getting 200 spins a week across 180 stations, I don't have market penetration, right? Maybe it looks good cumulatively on a heat map, but it's not, you're getting some exposure, but you're not, that repetition doesn't exist. Number three, medium to heavy rotation in each market. This is key for months and months. Number four, it has to happen during peak listener hours. If you've got 70 spins a week in a market, 
And it's happening during the overnights, 95% of the audience is sleeping. So you're not reaching anybody. And that brings me to the fifth one, which is really the key with radio that the 400 pound gorilla nobody wants to talk about is that station has to have sufficient listenership in the market to achieve market penetration. And how important was that a chart position was important, like a billboard chart position was huge because it was a bankable metric that measured market penetration, right? Like real quick, like Whitesnake, David Coverdale, the 1987 record comes out, Still the Night, first single, goes top 40, awesome. They go headlining from, from they started opening up for Molly Crew, now they're headlining. And he's got this down to a $90,000 show. It's what it costs him, 90,000 bucks a week. And then here I go again, hits number one and stays there for 14 to 16 weeks. And right when that happened, he goes back and renegotiates with the promoters and goes up he, to improves his guarantee to 2.4 million a week. Why did the promoters come to the table? Because they both know that this is the number one, it's getting so many spins, so many people are hearing it, that we're gonna sell more tickets. So yeah, let's cut them in and give them a bigger piece of the pie. So think about that in terms on digital and here's where the vanity play, you've gotta put your ego in check and your vanity in check. And I'm doing this right now with an artist named Rick Monroe, who I just adore. And for the same ad dollar with the budget that he gave me, we could reach 10 times the amount of people, right? If we go wide, if we go coast to coast or multinational and more people will be exposed to that music. But what we won't achieve is market penetration. So when you have a smaller budget, just focus on the goal. If you are in Nashville and you're trying to create a bigger draw in Nashville, then spend every ad dollar you have becoming a bigger draw in Nashville and running digital promotion just in the market that's going to move the needle for you, right? So that you can, hey, we've done it so many times where an artist is like, hey, we're a $1,200 a night bar band. Now you're a $2,500 a night band. Now you're a $4,000 a night band. Why? Because we're turning people away at the door because we're focusing our energy there. But if you focus on one market, you're going to spend all your money, your promo money there. And let's not forget your blood, sweat and tears and your energy and your time focusing on that one market. But if you're competitive and you're a compelling artist, then the more people hear about it and the more frequently they hear about it, the more your draw is going to go, the more money you're going to get paid at the live gig. So with Rick, I just said, what are your five markets that are your best markets right now where you have the best draw and that you're also going to hit during, so we're doing a four release schedule. So I, on my podcast, I tell people just to eliminate the word single from your vocabulary. This is now a toxic word. Okay. This is what happens on radio. But if you have a huge, if you get lucky and you get like 5 million views on YouTube, because you had a little bit of viral music video, God bless you. That's awesome. But if that's the focus and you don't have something right behind that in the hopper, all bullets loaded and ready to go in your promotion strategy, you're screwed because they're going to forget about you. So I said, let's do a four release strategy, six weeks apart. Every week, we're going to be pushing out new content to these five markets. Okay. And we're just going to keep pounding them, pounding, but every single piece of content we push out has to have the hook this, of the song that we're promoting that for that six weeks in the background. We're just going to keep pushing it like that. And so 
already we're starting to see some needles move there. And, but you have to understand like on the heat maps, like with, he's got management and fm.fm.com. It doesn't look as pretty as it should to, to the way they're doing it with other artists. So there's pushback, but I'm like, this is, we need to pound the market and get your money up. And then you'll see that this works. And then we can expand out from there. But this is where I would do, I would focus on, don't go for the validation of trying to get to a million views, go for the validation of becoming a profitable business in a market. Or if you've got multiple markets that you have draws and God bless you, focus on those markets and keep that going. Because I'll tell you, we, our offices are with Madison house, which is a huge booking agency. And Jordan over there is just like, man, if I find an artist, that I know can do hard ticket sales, even like 250 or 300 people on any given show, I'm going to work with them because I know that we can replicate that in these other markets. And so these things that you want, like with a better booking agency and better gigs, like you have the power to create, but you're focusing on trying to eat the whole elephant at one sitting and just focus on this one market, become a bigger fish in that market and have a strategy that is constantly putting content in front of it. And the last thing I'll say is know that with organic social media, you're only reaching one to 3% of your, of the people who already know and love you. So the other part of paid promotion, which there's no way around it. Okay. Or if the it's, you could win the lottery. Okay. And then that would be awesome, but you can't go to your landlord or your mortgage company and say, I'm going to pay this all up soon as I win the lottery. No. So it's, you can't base your strategy on going viral. You want to have a solid fundamental strategy. So when you're just repeating, like pushing it out and making sure that everybody that's already seen you, that's already reacted, that's already watched your content is getting the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and the next thing, that's how you do it. And with digital, you're able to see who liked it. I think about this, Michael. I always use Universal and Luke Bryan as an example of the inefficiency of the major label system. It used to be the only way to do it. So that's naturally where they come from. So I'm slagging on them, but let's just be objective and just matter of fact on this, okay? Luke Bryan, six number ones off that one record. Nobody's ever done that in the history of country music. He is a icon, a huge star. There are millions and millions of country fans who love Luke Bryan. The reason I use him as an example is because the people who don't love Luke Bryan are equally as passionate. They think he's the devil. They think he ruined country music and ushered in bro country and changed the genre forever and they don't like him. So when Universal, and keep in mind this example I'm going to give you is it doesn't matter to Universal in terms of this artist, Luke Bryan, and it doesn't matter to Luke Bryan because of where he is at the top of the totem pole, but it certainly matters to Universal for the new artists that they just signed. And it matters to you if you just got signed on Universal and it matters to an indie artist, okay? So dig it. So when they spend a million dollars to get a Luke Bryan single to number one on P1 Radio, they are purposefully and intentionally spending a boatload of money to put their product in front of people that they know not only don't like it, but will never like it so inefficient. And so as an indie artist, when you can see, I put out this video content, here's 3000 people who watch this hundred percent of the way through. You might, you're used to thinking about that as a consumption metric. Like here's how many views we got on YouTube. That's awesome. Hey, great. Awesome. Thumbs up. But Michael, you and I look at that and we're like, oh, that's, 
3,000 accounts. Those are actual people who watch that content and will want to see the next piece of content that we put out. And we can target them specifically. And so now we know that we're spending our precious time and our precious monetary resources retargeting only the people who are in the market right now. Like some of the people in the cold market are never going to come into your market, even if it's the same genre. Some of the people will, but they're not ready to yet. They're going to need to be a bigger party before they come in. So you're spending a little bit of your content touching those people, but you're really intentionally focusing on the repetition from the people who already like what you're doing and making them bigger fans. And with paid digital, you're going to make sure that you reach 100% of them all the time. So that good. Sense? Yeah, it, it, it totally makes sense. And yeah, a couple of analogies that are coming up as you're describing that were one is around this idea. It, it sounds like what you're recommending is it's tempting, but mostly it's tempting from like a, it feels good in terms of vanity metrics to have bigger numbers, even if those numbers don't actually result in making a profit or having a real business. But it sounds like what you're recommending is rather than, I've heard this analogy before that if you have a light bulb, but you concentrate that light, either it disperses and it can like show the room, but if you focus that energy, then that can actually cut through a uh, steel or stealing this. I'm so stealing this. I love this analogy. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. Yeah, I definitely didn't, didn't invent this one. But that, that's the idea is that with focus, with narrowing it, you really, you can penetrate. It's exactly what you're talking yeah. about, market penetration. So you narrow the focus and it just makes it so much more powerful as opposed to if you just have a light bulb, then you have to really crank up the heat in order to penetrate people's thick skin now, thick skin of... Yeah attention threshold there's so many things that we can take that can take our attention nowadays you need to be able to cut through and the second analogy that kind of pertains to that i think is this idea of having a pointed a pointed nature you're talking about market pen penetration i think it's almost like we all have this very rough thick skin now like nowadays with so much content and so much information our brains have like a rough attention threshold that it's in order for something to like really cut through the noise it has to really speak to us and has to really cut through and so it sounds like what you're recommending is sharpening your edge if you are trying to appeal to everybody and it gives a very dull flat edge and so it's going to be mm -hmm. harder to cut through versus if you really focus on that that smaller niche that smaller market it gives you this pointed edge that allows you to cut through that attention mm. threshold and once you've cut through now it's going to be easier to start to widen and start to expand because you have proof of concept. You've already seen that it's working, at least in that, that one market. Yeah. And listen, the only way that you're going to break is through market penetration. Think about why, how TikTok broke Old Town Road and some of the stuff from Walker Hayes and all that, because it's, you're on TikTok and you look at this video, it's like fancy like Applebee is on a first date and you swipe down. Fancy like Applebee is on a first date. You swipe again. Fancy like Applebee is on a first Swipe again. Fancy like Applebee. You're hearing that hook in repetition. It's focusing on that repetition thing, but it's attached to what? It's synced to different video mm -hmm. content. Now, from the industry, understand this, from the industry perspective, they're like, let's make it viral so that people will do that because that's, that, that's user-generated content. That's viral. True. Awesome. God bless if you can do that. But the principle of why that works still applies. Mm. So you can create that repetition. Can you imagine like Britney Spears was going to come back on the music scene here now that she's got her freedom. And I was with a buddy of mine that owns a publishing company and we were drunk and we were just, we figured out how to 
just explode her back on the scene. Can you imagine if she came out and said, hey, here's my total budget for my next music video. I'm going to divide this by 15 and I'm going to take I'm going to I'm going to crowdsource directors to do a music video. And there's only two rules. Number one, you have to serve my brand. You have to you, know, you can't do me wrong. Number two, we're going to have a whiteboard. You just can't do the same concept that somebody else does. Can you imagine the news? That would be where it's like, we're going to have 15 different video interpretations of the same song. Fans are going to be like, I can't wait till next week. I want to see what's going to happen. And then she owns the space in their brains for that long. There's microcosms, micro content that can allow you to do this. But in this way, now you are honoring the digital platform and your stuff is being consumed but you have to have that repetition has to happen. And you have to have that long-term approach the way that we had to terrestrial radio. If you pull up the stakes after two weeks, I can promise you it's not going to work. It's not going to work. And there's a lot of railroad track that has to be laid down. And some of the artists that went viral, I think Noah Guthrie, who had 76 cover songs, 76 weeks in a row. Every week he put out a new cover song and he just kept getting a little more subscribers and a little more views and boom and then on the 77th one that was the magic storm that happened where he did the right song at the right time but that same song doesn't happen if it's his third week in it's that repetition it's the consistency you have to replicate the consistency of rotational format programming on radio how are you going to do it and make them watch is your answer <laughs> so good that's so interesting <laughs> you know, one thing that it kind of reminds me of as you're talking about tiktok and how you have this ability to remix your song with all this different kind of front-end visual content but really it's about the hook and it's about the familiarity and you're starting to be driven into people's subconscious every single time that song is used it reminds me of I actually haven't read this book all the way through. I started reading it. It was pretty dense, but The Selfish Gene by Richard Dawkins. I know it's a classic I evolutionary psychology. It's it's pretty dense. Like I, I was I only made it through a little bit and then I was like, I need to come back to this. But the I know the core premise is has been really revolutionary. And it was around the idea it one of the concepts from the book is it talked about meme culture. And nowadays when we think about memes, usually what the first thing that comes to mind is those little pictures or it's like a funny meme or something, but it gets spread and it gets transmitted. But where that idea really came from is from Richard Dawkins in this book. He's talking about meme memes and memes are really cultural transmissions. And one of the, one of the natures of these memes is that they tend to replicate themselves and they're shared between you know, different members of the culture and they propagate. And it's almost like they're a living organism and one of the functions of these memes is that in order for it to survive, the memes that are most likely to survive are actually the ones where they're being remixed and they're very easy to take this and then add a new Like angle smudge the to cat. Smudge I, I'm not the sure cat that is. So that's the one where the one girl from the housewives or whatever, and she's like pointing and she's all angry. And then there's the cat. There's always like the smart ass response from the smudge <laughs> to cat. That has been recycled. So it's just what you're saying. Mm. Like, it's yeah, mm. this is fascinating. Go on. This is great. And that's basically the idea is that what you were talking about with the TikTok, having that different angle, it's such a, yeah, it's like a different angle, but you have the underlying hook and that's this meme that's being transmitted. It's almost, this is a weird way to look at it, but almost like a Trojan horse, right? Where it's like the same Trojan horse being yeah. like cast in a bunch of different outlines or a bunch of different vehicles, a bunch of different vehicles. Yes. But it's kind of the same underlying meme that's being transmitted. And guess what? That, that's a new way of also 
fundamentally doing it the same old way. In my example on radio, Reba McIntyre was the Trojan horse that ushered in Tim McGraw and every other artist who had the kind of prestige and the amount of spins and the activity on radio that Reba had in 1994 is the reason why Tim McGraw is Tim McGraw today. Because we were forced to listen to that, something we didn't know, we didn't ask for, we didn't even know that we liked. And I loved Tim McGraw, but I'm just saying he's a, he's nobody then, like nobody knows who he is. The reason he gets to where he is because they Trojan horsed you on a captive platform. And so that's a brilliant way to put it, Michael. Yeah, like how do we do that on digital? There's a million ways to do it. <clears throat> What's the... I. When you talk to industry people and I bring this up, like we need to do a bunch of different music videos and they're just like, oh, who's got that kind of budget? And I'm like, see, you're thinking like MTV, like this is it, MTV didn't even spin those videos anymore. So it, you can do micro content. You can do 18 second videos with just the hook, like you said. And so I had a couple of rock star buddies of mine. I'm talking to them and I'm trying to explain this to them. And still they go back to here's all these ideas that we have for content for this music video. Yes, this is awesome. Okay. But what if we did this? And I'm like, no, what if it should be and? Like take these 30 different ideas, pick the one that you feel best translates, interprets your artistic vision for the music video and let's make a full length music video about that. And we're going to use all of the rest of this for micro content to push mm -hmm. that out there. And it's artistically, you guys, like the most artists think like, and this is the epiphany that Rick Monroe had, the artist I'm working at. He, like, he's a huge listener of the podcast. And he was like, I finally got it. Like when we're done making the record, we're not done working. We're just getting started. I'm like, yeah, you're on your own five yard line. And now you've got 95 yards to go. And so they just embraced the promotion, the creativity part of the promotion thing. His guitar player was finally just got off the stool, so to speak, and said, I'm a ninja at Pro Tools. I can become a ninja at a video editing platform like Final Cut Pro. Let's get this in-house. Let's do it. We can shoot 24 FPS from our iPhones. Let's just make sure that we're constantly putting out. So they embraced it and they're owning this. And this was a huge like mindset transformation of the artist. And guess what? Exactly as I predicted and have been talking about for years on my podcast, this has become an itch a creative itch that they now love to scratch. You know what I mean? Because the same feeling that you get when you sing your song in front of a live audience and they connect with that and they're like, oh, that's awesome. This is the same high that you get when you do some really cool promotion stuff and people start to respond because they're hearing your music and that, and, and it requires you to be extra creative, mm -hmm. right? So. It's like, this is going to turn into something that actually is initially it's a pain in the ass, but now it, for Rick Monroe, they're just like, it's just part of their everyday. It's as simple as playing guitar every day. They enjoy it just like that because it is creative. It's a sandbox. And that's where we like to live as artists is in mm. the sandbox. 100%. Yeah, that's so good. It's so easy to overlook that or to feel like marketing or promotion is like this, I don't know, guy in the corner that has like a business suit on he's trying to like just be salesy or it's oh that's i don't want to focus i don't want to worry about that stuff that's not fun but exactly the way that you're describing it, it's like no actually this is an opportunity for you to unleash your creativity yep. and yeah, this is one of my favorite analogies too about uh, marketing that outsourcing your marketing completely 
is outsourcing your marriage. Yeah. Like there's some things like you don't really want to outsource because they're just so fundamental to it's who so you good. are. And it's yeah. I'm stealing that too, Michael. <laughs> I'm just coming to All your show to rape and pillage your brain. This is an example of mean culture in, in action. These are cultural ideas that have been transmitted to me as a boy. I, I'm not... I didn't come up with all this stuff. I just heard it and like I put some stuff together in different ways, my own way of interpreting it. But that's I didn't come up with that idea. So this is just meme culture in, in action. But getting so, um, it and understanding it and executing it, that's the key. And it's it really is that it's it's really about the understanding. When I do some of the workshops and stuff, people are like, they get a little wound up because they're like, oh, enough with the mindset stuff. Like when give me something that'll work. And I'm like, the mindset is what works. Like you have to think about this differently mm. first, and then you're going to be on the right trail. Right now you're on the wrong trail. You're on the trail mm. of, I'm going to try this. Oh, it doesn't work. I'm going to try this. Oh, it doesn't work. And now right. you're just upset because it, nothing works and you feel def defeated. But mm. if you're on the mindset, the right fundamentals, and you're thinking about it differently, then mm. there, the failures are just one more way not to make a light bulb. But we mm. know we're on the right track and we're going to keep going down there. And then through that repetition, I, right now, if you focus on digital marketing, y'all, you will be where all of your competition and all the big money in the music industry and the people who pull the levers in the industry that won't let you inside their club, you'll be where they are not. Mm. When was the last time that you saw a major label promote a music video in your feed? Yeah. And miss missed opportunity for sure. Like, it's, wow, just falling behind. <laughs> it's blue ocean. Um, Go get it. <laughs> right. At the risk of too, too many analogies, but I think it's, it's just an important, this is a good one for what you just described. It's so true that the mindset is such an important foundation. It's if you don't have the mindset, it's like you're planting a, a tree and the mindset is like the soil and the fertilizer that you plant the tree in. And if you don't have that, if you're planting it in stone, then it's just not going to work. And so yeah. it's, it is important. Like you need to start with that foundation in order for it to grow into a thriving plant. There's, All right, and there's well, nuance to that. You know what I mean? Like some plants yeah. you can put in this little bitty thing and some plants you need to put in a bigger thing. And some plants mm -hmm. are in this little thing and that's the only way they can start. And then you have to know when to move them to a bigger thing. Otherwise mm -hmm. the plant dies. Mm. I didn't make totally. up the rules. <laughs> <laughs> totally. That's, that just expanded my understanding of that, of that analogy. Good stuff. Hey, John, it's been awesome. Really great conversation. So I appreciate you coming it. on here and sharing your experience. Super interesting too, just hearing you know, this world that you came from and all the lessons that really apply now to this new model of the music industry. It's awesome. For anyone who's listening or watching this right now who would love to learn more, connect, connect with you more, what would be the best place for them to go to dive deeper? Sure. You can go, uh, all my socials are at Daredevil Production or Daredevil underscore production. Daredevilproduction.com is the website. Production is singular. There is no S. You can certainly find me on my podcast, which is The Climb Show, music business podcast. And if you just go to theclimbshow.com, you can find it there. We've been doing it for six years. Um, there's a lot of good creative stuff on there. When will this air, Michael? Do you know yet? Yeah. So this usually turns around time about a month and a half before it four airs. Okay, gotcha. What I'm doing uh, this July, so we're doing this now in July, and so this will air after this, but I will have another one coming up, but I'm doing a five-day Facebook ads challenge for artists, okay? So Facebook ads and just digital promotion will be the number one tool that every artist and every label will use moving forward to break their artists. It's what you need to know how to do. My, my 
Facebook ads education, which is the engine for Daredevil production. It's what we mainly do with our corporate clients and our industry, music industry clients. It cost me $5,000 and I share, I teach you and step, walk you through in a five-day challenge how to set up and launch your first promotion campaign. I do it for less than $2 a day. When this airs, I'll give you a different link and we'll have a different time and just go look at the link in the show notes and and come and join us. This is going to be something that's going to change your world forever. And the quicker that you learn how to do this, the less people you're going to be competing with. It's a really amazing opportunity to do it. Awesome. That sounds super cool. Yeah. So we'll make sure to throw all the links in the show notes so that you guys can check that out whenever you're listening or watching this. And yeah, man, appreciate you coming on here again. Stuff is stuff's awesome. I geek out about this. I can tell that both of us you know, uh, spend a lot of time geeking out about this kind of stuff. So it's great. I to can be talk about to... it forever. Michael, thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Thank you, Ari. And thank you, Pamela. Pamela Mary for connecting yeah, us. Yeah, shout out to Pamela on our team. Her. She's, yep, she's awesome. Thank you, Pamela. This is a great, a great find. Awesome, buddy. Hey, it's Michael here. I hope that you got a ton of value out of this episode. Make sure to check out the show notes to learn more about our guest today. And if you want to support the podcast, then there's a few ways to help us grow. First, if you hit subscribe, then that'll make sure you don't miss a new episode. Secondly, if you share it with your friends or on your social media, tag us. That really helps us out. And third, uh, best of all, if you leave us an honest review, it's going to help us reach more musicians like you who want to take their music careers to the next level. The time to be a modern musician is now, and I look forward to seeing you on our next episode.